Good morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. Still recovering from uh, eight days in Vegas, which is way too long. That is a lot of days. Yeah, my voice is all jacked up. I thought I thought I was coming down with a cold, but it doesn't seem to be developing to that. I just think my throat is extremely angry at me for that much uh, dry air and smoke. <laughs> it was interesting how many people actually complained about their voices hurting. Yeah. In Vegas. Yeah. I think just because a lot of the environments are kind of loud and people were talking all day when they normally wouldn't. Yep. Can be a strain. I definitely did my, my fair share of talking the, the last night um, I was there. I was probably up until... 1230 or one talking about some deep technical stuff with uh, Adam Wathen and Sam, another guy that uh, that I know from the internet. So, oh, so yeah, it's, it's been a little rough on the throat, but it was a great experience overall. Yeah. How did you, how did you feel about the conference? Um, great as usual. You know, I, I think the, the talks were super high quality. So I went to the growth edition, which happened earlier in the week. That's sort of the traditional microconf crowd, the ones that have been there since the beginning. So got to see a lot of old friends and catch up on what's been going on. And then um, I also stuck around for the starter edition, which are mostly people I don't know, but it's it's fun to see kind of the difference between growth and starter where growth, I, I guess this is a strong word, but like there's some people who who come off a bit jaded sometimes just because they've been through been through the ringer for years probably and they have a successful company so it's kind of hard to impress that crowd with with new knowledge you know most things have been said before they've heard them before it's like yeah well tell me something i don't know all nice people but you know you can just kind of get that sense um i found myself kind of calcifying a little bit over the years where it's like yeah i've heard the same advice that starter edition it's completely different everyone's bright-eyed they're hearing like the first talks about idea validation and charging more money and you know it just sounds like magic to everyone's ears so it's it's kind of fun to be around that crowd that really is like vibing with all the you know kind of foundational microconf knowledge that's a really interesting point that i hadn't thought about that definitely is yeah. i could see that being like a really valuable thing about the about starter yeah that's cool um i had an awesome time as well this is my third microconf going into it i felt really great I was like, I'm working on a fun new thing. I had a list on my phone of like people I wanted to make sure I caught up with. And there was like a lot of names and have definitely made like a bunch of friends over the years. And I was thinking back to a thing I had forgotten, which is the first time I attended microconf, I was like intimidated and kind of scared because I had like done so many Ruby conferences and I was used to going to conferences, knowing like lots of people and feeling totally comfortable. And then I was like, had dropped into this new world where it's like, I don't have a reputation. I don't know people here. It felt surprisingly intimidating. I remember like noting that in myself. And I had kind of forgotten about that experience until I was thinking about like, oh man, I'm so excited for this. This is going to be great. I have all these people I want to see. I know what I'm going to do. And it was just an interesting change. Totally. Yeah, it was funny to see like at the, the crossover party where Growth Edition ended and Starter Edition started, there was like, you know, probably close to 300 and something people in the room. So it was very loud and, you know, lots of conversations happening and just kind of seeing the starter people trickle in and look a little bit like, you know, deer in the headlights, like, oh my gosh, what is this group? Because, you know, there are a lot of sort of introverted types of people there, but I think you put us all in a room together and we have such this this deep common thread that a lot of people, it's like, I've just found my community, you know, and and I can finally like... I don't know, have someone to talk to about all the stuff I do, like a majority of my day, whereas a lot of us, our families barely understand what we're doing. So I think it's just like people kind of open up in a way that's pretty unique and it becomes can become a little overwhelming because there's just so much energy in the room. 
I don't exactly know how this develops. Like the culture of the conference is so good. And I'm sure like most culture that you can trace that back to the creators, like the, the founders. So like props to Mike and Rob for building this thing. Now I think it has grown beyond them. Like it's not just their example that is causing this anymore. Now it's part of like just sort of the nature of the conference. But the sort of extreme transparency, extreme helpfulness, friendliness. I saw a tweet storm about the conference the other day where the person said, it felt like every time there was a group of people who were talking, they were totally happy to have me join them and just start participating in the conversation. And that's definitely familiar. That felt exactly right to me. Yep. Yep. I don't think that culture is that easy to build. That is sort of not the natural state of a large group of people that don't know each other. And so I think that's just like one of the enduring, impressive things about microconf is the way it feels. Yeah. And I think like it's, like you said, it's kind of hard to bottle that up and replicate. I think they've just hit on something really great and a great community of people who kind of are aligned on how to approach, you know, newcomers and and each other and everything. So it's it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also interesting. Like I, I think MicroConf probably is producing possibly millions of dollars of wealth of value per year, where it's like, I feel like every time I go, I get a couple ideas that are really substantial and I think have a lot of potential to move the needle. And I imagine that experience is not uncommon. And so like just just by getting all these people together and letting this knowledge flow around, you're like effectively stimulating the small economy that is everyone's business at MicroConf. It's, it's pretty awesome. I heard Adam gave a great talk. He did. Oh, yeah, it was good. Like it was it was like the classic MicroConf talk where he sort of lays out like, hey, I'm just a guy. Here's what I do. I decided I wanted to do my own thing. So I tried making info products. Or at first he was like, I tried making a SaaS and it was not successful at all. He banked like a couple thousand dollars over the course of a few years from it. So he's like, okay, going back to sort of the stair-step approach, I decided I'll do some info products and launch these things. And here's my numbers, like big money shot where it's like, and this is my total revenue over the last two years. And everyone sort of just, you know, silence falls over the room. Everyone's in awe. (laughs) And then it's like, and you can do this too. And here's how I did it. And it was just chocked full of actionable, like, here's how I built my audience. Here's how I got Twitter followers. Here's how I, you know, approached developing the courses. And it was just point after point was like, dude, if you're in the market for like developing info products, then this was like the best thing you could possibly hear. Awesome. It was awesome. That's great. I had a suspicion he was going to be great because he helped me so much with uh, refactoring rails and just I've appreciated his advice in the past. So uh, I wasn't shocked to hear it went well, but I'm I'm still psyched for him. Yep. Good job, Adam. Yeah. Props, Adam. Yeah. There are notes available from those talks if people want to go check those out. Mm -hmm. You can drop a link to that in the show notes. Totally. For the official yep. recap notes. Yep. But yeah, any other talks stand out to you? The talks I enjoyed the most this year, I think, were the the ones around copywriting, because I've been doing a, a bit of writing, uh, just like landing pages and, and email copy and things like that. So there was one from, I think her name was Nadia, uh, her last name's escaping me right now, but she spoke about how to produce viral content or content that has potential to circulate virally. You know, not that I would like make viral a, a core like strategy or something but if you can if you can infuse virality into your content then it just has a better shot of being amplified so there were some great action items from that um, there's talk about injecting humor into your copy which i think as i think about like what made slack so successful compared to all the other tools because they were certainly not the first to market i think a lot of it is just sort of how the product feels and the friendliness of slack bot and just sort of the the micro copy and the onboarding and the whole experience all those little tiny things add up to just 
form this product that people fall in love with. You know, I've been thinking a lot about how can I achieve similar results. And I think one of them is just, you know, not having sterile dry copy, but copy that talks to you as if, you know, it's your friend and and makes you laugh sometimes. And I think that's like a, a very important psychological component that that endears you to the product you're using. So Yeah, I like that a lot. Like it's crazy what a tiny little bit of like a one line bit of microcopy can do to making something feel like considered and smart. Just yesterday, I was using an app called Hotel Tonight, which is full of those little good UI details. I'm in the app on my phone. Like we just sent you a confirmation email. Go ahead and click that. Don't worry, you won't lose any of the stuff over here. All everything you just entered will be waiting for you when you come back. And it like immediately answered the first question I had. And it was just like just the perfect little like understanding of where my mind was at and like a reassurance. It's like, oh, that's that's just so slick and so well done. Yeah. I love that stuff. I love it when they when apps do that, when it's like I, I just get the sense of fear, like, oh no, am I gonna lose my stuff? And then boom, it's like perfectly placed. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like the instant the question popped into my head, the next thing I read was like, this is the answer to the question. Yeah. Yeah. And I who knows if like they're doing lots of user tests, probably. I feel like that's the best way to uncover that kind of stuff. It's like actually watch someone doing it. And like one day someone goes, will I lose my place if I click over? And they go, oh, we should totally say that we, mm-hmm. or, or maybe someone just thought of it, just figured it out. But however they came to it, I was, uh, I was impressed. Right. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. What about you? Favorite talks? My favorite talk was actually Justin Mayer's talk, uh, which was uh, growing FOMO from 20K to 80K a month, I believe was the title, something like that. It was just kind of a classic microconf thing where it's like, I took a thing and made it better. Here are the ways that we made it better and some stuff that worked and some stuff that didn't. That kind of talk is my favorite, I think, where it's like, here is a, a sort of hard thing we did. And here are the tactics that worked for doing the hard thing. I get a lot out of those. And I just find it, I just find it inspiring. So um, props to him. It's a mix of tactical and inspiration. Like the kind of the tactical takeaway is that these things worked for us and your mileage may vary, but it's all about the kind of the process of doing the grind a little bit and just kind of figuring out, like trying stuff out, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't and recognizing quickly when something's not working and moving on to the next thing. And the bigger takeaway is like, we did this and it's not rocket science. Like you can do it too. And maybe these exact things won't work, but it's totally within reach if you just put in the work. I was reading the notes from some of the starter talks because I only intended growth and Patrick McKenzie uh, gave a talk and there was some line in it that was something like, the trick is actually just to show up every day and try to make your business a little bit better and do that for years. And that rings so true to me because basically everything good in my life has come because of that. It's like everything I'm good at or anything that has been a substantial achievement was basically just showing up most days, putting a little effort in, moving the, the thing forward a little bit and just trying and making plenty of mistakes along the way, but like continuing to, to work at it. Yeah. And I think if you can establish a solid foundation where you're not, where you're beyond like the, maybe a revenue level that can support you comfortably. And then I feel like beyond that, everything else is just like, you can either set a lofty goal and try to grow fast and grow really large, or you can, you can choose not to go at that pace and know that like, as long as you're incrementally improving, it really doesn't matter what your growth rate is so much, as long as you're, you're making progress. And I think that could be a really good way to live, you know? It seems to me that when you guys were working on Drip, you chose the the growth thing. Like you were reinvesting really heavily, hiring lots of people and trying to grow really fast. Does any part of you regret that approach? Do you wish you sometimes you had taken it a little slower? So one of the things that that made it difficult is that we were in such a highly competitive market and 
we, for better or worse, were not super niche focused. And I think that probably would have been, you know, if there was one thing we could, you know, reevaluate strategy wise, I think it would be like, if we could just lock in on a smaller niche and, but that niche was large enough to, to dominate, then it maybe would have been a little bit easier. Instead, we end up kind of being like the alternative to uh, Infusionsoft, which has like a large number of features, not really well implemented, but still like a high bar on feature parity. It always felt like we were, you know, once we determined we were going to do marketing automation, it was like, okay, we have all these areas to catch up to try to, you know, get refugees from this product that has poor user experience. There was that component. And there was also the component of, of scaling challenges where we sort of needed sort of needed to add engineers if we weren't going to always be understaffed on, you know, kind of the technical scaling side of things. And we, I mean, from, from the first few weeks of taking in analytics data, we were already like outgrowing our database and had to like allocate time to, to finding creative ways to store data. So it was a tough, I guess, category of app to go with the approach of, of slow, steady growth. Like we, I feel like we always had to be resourceful. And then every time we got more MRR, there was usually a position that we were desperately in need of hiring. So I think it was just the the fact that it was such a highly competitive market. And, uh, you know, we sort of bit off a a large, uh, large amount of work to get done to reach parity made it a little tricky. Sure, it would have made it hard to have taken that slower approach. Yeah, yeah. Could you see that in levels future? Do you think that that vibe is maybe more what you want now? Um, Yeah, for sure. Like, I think... You know, that's why I want to focus in on software developers. I don't want to be even to start with my I don't want my positioning to be like this is for all makers of all industries where you're making things, because I know that, you know, there's going to be a long tail of demand for various features that may or may not overlap with each other. And, you know, if I can just build the best darn uh, (laughs) communication tool for software teams that deeply integrates with all the tools that most software developers use and just and, and fits our workflow like a glove then I know I have a good shot at carving away at least a, a decent-sized niche from, from Slack. And the scope is just much more manageable. So my goal is to kind of like try to stay as narrow as possible for as long as possible without being too narrow. <laughs> Which I think helps that it's like such a big market. That was another theme I heard was just like, don't be afraid of going into large markets because carving away a niche out of a large market is probably the, the best thing you could do because there's room to grow, but um, you can also, when you hyper-specialize, you can be the best for that specific niche out of the large market. Yep. Nice. I like it. Yeah. So I had a, uh, a crazy coincidence happen to me oh, yeah? a couple days ago. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine texts me and says, hey, the guy whose research you're basing your company on is staying at my house. Do you want to meet him? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i said <laughs> this is like an unrelated friend who like i don't know through any sort of business thing like i know him through a uh, barbershop actually through singing wow and yeah i was just like what is this text how is this happening to me and it turns out they just like his wife and this like a person happened to be friends uh and he was in town and yeah so that is nuts in boston uh yeah just outside the city wow yep <laughs> so did you this do it person- yeah, of course. Are you kidding? Of course. I would yeah. have uh, cleared anything from that schedule to do this. So the three of us all uh, met up with this person and got to like basically go deep on this research and approaches and ideas for like a couple hours over dinner. And it was super helpful. Wow, that is so awesome. Yep. 
all these like lucky things seem to keep happening. Yeah. It's like, at least so far, this like this journey has been sort of like blessed. Like all these like lucky pieces keep falling into place. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll take it while it's lasting. Wow. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, obviously you told told this researcher about the kinds of problems you want to tackle and was there like a was there an agreement from them that like this is this is a great use case for the technology? Um, kind of yes and no. Like one of the interesting takeaways that le- is that there's a difference between this thing works in a paper in these laboratory conditions and this will work generally. One uh, example, the resolution that all the tests of this technology was run at was fairly low. And it's actually reasonably likely that like our customers are going to want to send 4K you know across the wire you know he's like you know we didn't wrote we didn't write it for that we didn't test it for that it may be you know that just even like encoding the screen that's that size it becomes a huge bottleneck it was sort of mixed takeaways like some of them were like okay that sounds good and that sounds not as good so but i I feel like we at least have a more accurate understanding of the landscape and so it's like okay we know like this this is possibly a an axis along which we can kind of like get some value out of like these are some things to explore these are some things that are maybe less valuable it wasn't all good news. It wasn't all bad news. But at least I feel like we know more, which is cool. I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you considered making your first implementation pass use WebRTC and then like circle back and try to like bake in this more risky, more of a wildcard type of technology? <laughs> we have. Yeah, in fact. And that actually seems to be the prevailing of the three of us. That one excites me kind of the least, but it excites like the two guys think it's like the, a good idea. Partly because we're going to be using WebRTC to handle the connection. Like WebRTC has some nice code for like punching holes through firewalls and things like that and negotiating the speed and the resolution and all this stuff. And also audio, which is actually what Screen Hero did. They use WebRTC for, the, for all those bits. And so we are already going to be using WebRTC for a bunch. And so it's like, well, why not just turn on the screen sharing? And that becomes, you know, the version one. And it's not going to be better in the ways that we hope to be better, but at least it's a product. Yeah. Um, so that probably is what we'll do. I don't know if that actually will make it into like, okay, this is the MVP. Now people should use it. Or if that's just like, okay, we know this thing roughly works. Now let's see if we can improve it or not. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I still don't know if there's a, a great alternative. I mean, maybe some some products like Zoom or some other things have this kind of built in, but I've heard it's just not a super smooth experience. Like, So I wonder if just, just having this tool that's like, we are hyper-focused on this use case and you could build some features around specifically the code sharing thing. And maybe it's using, you know, maybe WebRTC is not the the technology you want to stick with forever, but it seems like even that implementation, I would still like to use because I still sort of don't have any alternative, you know? Yeah. Yep. I think that's reasonable. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like the rational part of me and the emotional part of me have different opinions on this, uh, where it's like the uh, rational part of me says, yeah, obviously, like the MVP is not going to be great. And you just have to accept that. And like people will use it and they'll be like, yeah, this is like, it's not obviously better than other things I've used. The emotional part of me is like, oh no, like I want us to be better. That's the whole point is that we're going to be better. But then, you know, the rational part's also like, yeah, that's, that's not how MVPs work. Like the MVP is not like, here's this thing that's obviously better than what else, what is out there. It's like, this is the kernel of an idea that will, you know, steadily improve. And our only job is to improve it based on your feedback. So having a little trouble uh, accepting that one. We'll, we'll see. You know, you guys only have so much bandwidth to produce so much product in a in a limited amount of time. So, say you did use it for your MVP, used WebRTC, and then you started doing a heavy amount of customer development research and finding out what people need. And maybe it's like, yeah, it'd be nice if it was a little bit smoother on the screen experience. But I really could use this feature in X, Y, and Z. And 
maybe X, Y, and Z should have been where you've been focusing your time. So it's it's hard to know. And I guess that's where the value of an MVP comes in. It's like you get something in someone's hands and then you figure out what's really important to them. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I actually just got an email from someone recently who was saying like, yeah, I use this solution, which I happen to know is a WebRTC solution. And it's like, it seems to work okay. Like, what, what do you guys plan on doing? And so it's like some people don't have the problems with WebRTC that I expect them to. So that's, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah. I think for sure we will implement like WebRTC screen sharing as to whether or not that sees the light of day. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll figure it out. But I am tempted to get the alpha going, you know, ASAP. So if, if we can, if that lets us go way faster, we can just, and like, we would just certainly tell people like, hey, this is not intended to be our final solution on this. This is an area that we want to improve a lot on. And over like years, we probably intend to like ring more and more and more performance out of this. But as of today, here's what we're using. Yep. Um, yep. And there's already some interesting things. So I'm not quite ready to talk about it, but like, I've been thinking a lot about positioning and how that positioning affects our UX and our pricing and our marketing and all this stuff. And I already think we have some interesting things that will be mm, popular, I guess, that we can do. So even if we're offering the same sort of WebRTC-based screen sharing, the UI and how it works and what it looks like um, will be a better fit for our niche. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, could fo- we, could, we could play up those things early on. And so maybe it's, it might just make sense. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about things. Cool. Yeah. So I saw you tweeting about uh, kind of pulling the audience about um, naming, and yes. then you you posted that you had uh, settled on something. Are you ready to talk about that? Yeah, totally. When I announced to my uh, former coworkers that I was leaving, they were like, "Wow, oh, wow, that's crazy!" Like, "What are you doing?" And I told them, and I was like, we, "They're like, what are you going to call it?" And I was like, "I don't know yet. I need some sort of name that's like kind of nerdy that will work for us because we, we definitely want to target developers. So I want something that's actually like a little bit has a little bit of like a shibboleth quality to it." Where it's like, oh, you get the joke if you're a programmer. One of my coworkers immediately said, tuple. And I was like, ooh, a tuple is a thing that takes two things and turns it into one thing. It's nerdy enough. I just loved it right away. Uh, and so I was like, oh, man, that's really good. And so that became the first thing on the list. And that became like the unofficial name uh, in our heads. And then we were at MicroConf and like kind of like testing the name by telling it to people. And had a couple like sort of not as good experiences where someone was like, ah, I don't really like it. Like, how do you spell it? Like T-O-O-P-A-L or something. So it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's like a, a couple of people were saying like they wouldn't know how to spell it. They did like they, like, they guessed wrong how to spell it. Um, a couple of people who were even programmers like hadn't heard of the term before or like, is that a math thing? I was like, well, yeah, sort of. It wasn't an obvious win talking to people. And so we were like, all right, well, we have this window where like it's easy to change. So like, let's at least explore. And so we explored like crazy. Uh, and like spent like a lot of time looking for domains and thinking of names and like nothing ever struck us as well as Tuple did. And so after a lot of thought and a lot of exploration, we decided to just come back to the original idea and, and go with that. And it's like, yeah, some people will misspell it, whatever. I bet they'll figure it out. Like Google has a spelling corrector. It's pretty smart if they have to add an extra keyword to the end of it. Yeah, we just we're just we're going with it. Cool. Yeah, I think when I when I first heard it, I was like, huh. My only skepticism came from like me. I already I already know what the term is, and I'm like thinking, putting my business hat on. Am I like, is this too obscure? Like, are people not going to know what this is? But I think it ultimately doesn't really matter. And a lot of a lot of companies choose names that are completely unrelated to whatever they're doing. Like, think Stripe. You know, like Stripe has really nothing to do with like they found it purely by like searching domains and seeing what dot coms they could acquire you know so it was like it really proves that 
usually name names don't really matter. And so I think the fact that there is this kind of like clever connection, um, and if you get it, you get it. And if you don't like it, who cares if you don't really get it? It's just a, it's just a name, you know? So yeah, exactly. Like what does Trello mean? Like right. nothing, right? Who cares? <laughs> what does Google mean? Nothing really. So if we do a good job and have a good product, I think it will not hurt us. So I have an interesting story related to that. This was actually right after the um, meeting with that research guy. The three of us were like in a car together and we're like, let's just go with Tuple. Like we, we, we spent enough time on this. We like nothing as much as that. You know, we had talked about uh, registering tuple.co, uh, which was um, available. And we're like, let's just do it. Let's spend the money. Let's go. Let's just solidify on this. So they're like, all right, do it right now. And so I was like, okay. So I pull up my phone and the two guys, are my two co-founders in the backseat of this Uber. And I go to register it and it's taken. Oh, no. And I was like, oh my God, that's brutal. <laughs> and I realized that the podcast episode, I had talked about it and had mentioned the name and it had come out already. So oh, usually no. like the podcast, like have like a week lag and it came out like that, like the next day or like, or like yeah. really fast. And I was like, wow, some jerk heard me talking about this on the podcast and registered it behind me. And I was like, guys, I think this is what happened. And I felt really crappy. I felt like I had screwed up. I had made like a terrible decision to talk about this thing, which wasn't actually in our possession. And like, I felt really guilty. And they bounced back so fast. They're like, that's all right. We'll figure something out. Like, we'll do a different thing. Like, maybe, we'll, maybe we can like reboot the name thing. We'll find something different. They were like upset for like five seconds. And then they were like, don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll figure it out. It's going to be all right. It's going to be cool. And then I realized that I had misread the interface and it actually was still available. Uh, <laughs> I was so like, was oh, it my like, God. Was it like in it, use, but still like up for sale or something? Is that exactly. what? Exactly. I had forgotten okay. that it was like registered, but for sale. And right. so I went to register it and it was like, this is not available. And I was like, oh, no, it's not available. And I forgot that like you have to just go to GoDaddy and like buy it through their auction Buy service. it through the auction thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and my so gosh. I was like, oh, my God, it is. And I went and then I bought it and it was like, oh, man, we have it. But it was like that experience actually was like, that's when I started to think like this might work because they bounced back. So like I was like, there was a clear scapegoat. I screwed up. It was definitely my fault. I harmed the company and us like through my actions and like, you know, just bad judgment. And they like processed it in like no time at all. And we're totally cool and moved on. Wow. And I was yeah, like, this, that's this a great good. learning experience. That's like just a, that's a slice of, of the kinds of stuff you guys are gonna have to go through together as a team you know, probably maybe on a monthly basis. <laughs> you know, there's always going to be something that's kind of adversity. And so, yeah, I think this is great. Like, what a great ending to um, a few, like, gut-wrenching moments, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, it was so cool to, like, have that experience and that, like, affirmation and then also get the domain. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> so, that's oh, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, tuple.co is going to be Sweet. us. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So on a on the domain front, I um so I had level dot space and I had felt pretty um settled on using that. I talked to people, most people agreed, like, oh, that's actually cool. Like I had some variations of dot coms that had other words appended to them and it's just like, meh, doesn't feel like level dot space feels feels pretty cool. If if you're gonna embrace the, you know, alternative TLD, just go all in and, you know, get a clean like level dot on there. So I, I felt pretty good about that. I was starting to use it. I had put my landing page up on it and stuff. And then what had been floating around in the back of my mind was the .app domain because Google announced they were going to release that and gradually roll it out. And I think it becomes generally available 
tomorrow, like May 8th, I think, is when you could just go and sign up for one. And they had like a week period leading up to that that was sort of their early access, like you could pay a little bit extra to registrars to get in earlier. Like you could put in a pre-registration for it. I initially tried to do that a few weeks ago, and most of the places I checked said it was already unavailable. Like I think a lot of platforms only allow one person to pre-register. So if it, you know, if one person did it there, then it was presumably taken. That's my assumption, at least. And then someone reached out to me on Twitter through a DM and was like, hey, um, sent me like a screenshot. He's in Germany and it's like some German domain registrar. He's like, it's still available over here. You want me to snag it for you? So I was like, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, this just speaks to the community we have. He like put 150 bucks of his own money down on it. It's refundable. You know, if he, if he doesn't win it, then he would get his money back. And if he does, then he's trusting me to just like, you know, forward him the cash and he would send me the domain. So I was like, yeah, please do. So he, he put a pre-reg on that. And I think it was like a pre-registration for the moment when they go generally available. So like it would attempt to execute a purchase, you know, on May 8th. So I was like, okay, I'm cool with that. And then I got another email from someone, I think, who was like, um, you may want to check this out. GoDaddy is offering advanced pre-registrations. So like you can basically choose how much money you want to put in and it will put you somewhere further up in line. You could pay 10 grand and get it on the earliest day, or you could pay uh, eight grand to get it the next day, or four grand, or a thousand, or $200. Like it kind of was a, was a, exponential scale sliding down. So I was like, you know, sitting in Vegas, place where gambling is king. And I'm like, how much do I want to gamble on this? Like, this would be really awesome to get. Um, So I decided, okay, I'm willing to lose $150. If I pre-register it for Saturday, the pre-registration premium is non-refundable. So it was like $150 plus $129 for the actual domain for one year. So I was like, okay, I'll get the 129 back, but the 150 is just gone regardless. So am I willing to lose that? And I was like, yeah, I'll lose that. So put one in for Saturday and then checked my email Saturday morning. And it was like, congratulations, you're the owner of level.app. Hey, congrats. So, yeah. I love it. That's a great domain. Yeah, it's just slightly shorter. It's going to be a lot of people already have the convention of fill in the blank app.com, you know, so like it's perhaps not as not quite as big a stretch as level dot space and maybe more memorable. So I went ahead and started, uh, started to adopt that and I'm super, super happy. Yeah. I like it. That's very legit. Yeah. Wow. Domains are, are figured out now. Yeah. <laughs> that means we're like totally. half done, right? That's half of the, the successful business requirement. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice if it was. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh, man, we both have good domain stories. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Um, I think that's good Good for now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, uh, if people wanted to access the show notes for this episode. They could find them at artofproductpodcast.com. I bet they could. Good talking to you. Oh, wait, too, uh, quick thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am, uh, I'm flying to Hong Kong uh, tomorrow. Oh, okay. Uh, and I'll be there for a couple weeks. And so cool. maybe we'll record, but probably we won't. So okay. just a heads up to everybody. Uh, we'll be off for a couple of weeks and then back at it with a fervor, I think. Fervor. Derek and I will both be full time building companies. Very yes. exciting. <laughs> awesome. So lots of updates to come. This will be your, cool. your, your pre-summer break. Yeah. I might, too, I might uh, if you don't mind, pull on a few guests. Like oh, I, was yeah. talking to, I was talking to Rob at the conference and he was giving me a bad time. He's like, 
I was standing there with Adam and Rob, and Adam's like, well, I've been a guest on Art of Product, and Rob's like, what the heck, man? So I might pull oh, Rob man. on. Um, I like and it. Maybe I'll be a little bit disappointed that to not have been there when that happens, but yeah. you should do it anyway. Well, we'll have, we can have him back again. <laughs> right. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. All righty. All right. I'll catch you next time. time. Bye. Bye.